The Redefining Parenthood podcast focuses on building your family using a donor, featuring stories where a difficult trying to conceive journey has unexpectedly led them towards this path. I'm your host, Becky, also known as Defining Mum, a proud mum to three amazing girls, all thanks to egg donation, following my own diagnosis of premature ovarian failure in my late 20s. I know from my own experience and speaking to many others that this isn't a simple path. It's not just a one-time decision and there's lots to think about, many emotions to deal with and actually with very little support available and quite often we just don't know anyone else who can truly relate to how we're feeling. That's where this podcast can help. Through personal stories I'll be sharing relatable conversations as we talk about the hope and the expectations, alongside feelings of shame, dealing with genetic loss, family resemblances, talking to others and importantly to our children about this lesser discussed family building story. So welcome back to the Redefining Parenthood podcast and today if you're listening on the launch day is the 27th of April and it is International Donor Conception Awareness Day and the theme for today is let's talk, listen and learn. And this is the reason why I've decided to do this episode. It's an episode I've been wanting to do as part of this series. I've been really wanting to cover off a range of perspectives, of experiences, and the most important perspective to hear from is this perspective of someone who is donor-conceived themselves, because our children are donor-conceived, and their voice is so important in this, in particular when it comes to listening and learning. And so I have two amazing donor conceived people with me today. Um, I have Emma and Haley, who I'm going to introduce you to in a second. And both are advocating for donor conceived rights, but also sharing their story. Um, and, and what I've found through conversations with the both of them is that we've been able to have really respectful, empathetic, and engaging conversations about this topic. And I know it's a topic that on social media can become quite heated um, and I think sometimes very misunderstood in a social media comments thread and that's why I love this theme of listening and learning because I always think the best way to understand someone else's perspective is to hear it from their own mouth and to hear their context and to really put it into perspective. So we are going to be talking today in general, around what donor-conceived people want you to know, and that's as parents-to-be or parents through donor conception. And firstly, I will say that they don't speak for all donor-conceived people, just like I don't speak for all recipient parents, but I think it's a really good opportunity to hear some of the the themes and the messages that are coming out of the donor-conceived community that we as parents need to listen to. Some may make us feel uncomfortable, but hopefully but in doing it within this forum, in this way, we can present it to you in a compassionate and empathetic way and give you that food for thought. Um, So I'm going to introduce them both to you now and they're going to share just a little bit of background about themselves and their story and just why they do what they do. So firstly, I'm going to come to Hayley. So Hayley is on Instagram as DCP Journey to RP and Hayley and I have done quite a bit of work together on Paths to Parenthood recently. Um, So Hayley, do you want to just share a little bit about you and and why you do what you do? Hi there, everyone, and thanks for listening. Um, Yeah, so um, I was born um, in the early 80s uh, to a mum-dad family, sort of very traditional upbringing, really. But um, it was a celebrated story, the fact that my parents were able to have me because they struggled with both male and female um, factor infertility. And I was one of the first um, cohorts of babies born. 
uh, to IVF technology. Um, but what I didn't find out until much later in life is that my parents had used an anonymous sperm donor to have me. So I found that out, um, sadly, in a family argument in 2015, um, which was obviously a huge shock. Um, and yeah, I, I spent the, the next few years sort of kind of processing all of that information. Um, and more recently, um, my wife and I, we had children via donor sperm IVF as well. So I'm now actually both a donor conceived person and a recipient parent to twins who are now nearly five. I mean, I've summarized very quickly all of the other stuff there. But um, as you can imagine, that was sort of over a number of years, all of those things um, were happening. Um, and more recently, actually, in the last sort of six months or so, I decided to set up my Instagram account, both to document my journey and my wife's journey with our twins, um, how we were talking to them about being donor conceived and how maybe my experience had impacted how we were sort of managing it. And also to kind of journal, I suppose, a little bit about what was going on in my life and a way of sort of, I don't know, a bit of self-help or healing or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I found Instagram quite a good um, platform. Um, I'd been in Facebook groups for a number of years, probably since almost finding out that I was donor conceived and I would see a lot of threads spiral out of control um, would be the best way to describe yeah. it between recipient parents um, and donor conceived people. And I just felt that um, Instagram was maybe a better way to kind of try and bridge those gaps sometimes um, and hear people's stories, see their faces um, see what they were doing um, yeah and that's that's how I kind of got into this this arena if you like yes and I'm so grateful that you have um, because I think you've got such a unique perspective because you you've got a foot in both camps uh, as we say you are donor conceived and a, a parent as well so you understand the challenges on both sides and I think that's it's really allowed people to listen in and, and understand your perspective and, and the things that you want to share and so thank you Hayley and I'd also like to introduce you to Emma from the other side of the world. So it's taken quite some coordination to get this together in terms of time zone differences. And Emma is from the Instagram account Donor Conceive Aotearoa. I think I've said it correctly. Yes. And they are advocating for donor conceive rights as well. And, and I've really enjoyed following their account more recently and and just listening to kind of the different approach that they take in terms of tabling some of the the more controversial topics and I will I'll refer to one of the posts later on but I'm just going to hand over to you Emma just to introduce yourself and, and just share a little bit about you please. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, so I'm Emma I was actually although I live in Australia I was born in New Zealand um, I was born in 1980 that was right at the start of donor conception in New Zealand. It, it wasn't official. It was sort of all under the table. Um, so I'm sperm, sperm donor conceived. It was all anonymous at the time to the point where I don't, I didn't know anything about the donor, how they were recruited, no information about eye colour, profession, zero. There was no information and there were no records to be found at any point in time. Um, I was told when my parents got divorced, I was um, nearly 11 years old and nearly 42. So I've known that I've been donor conceived for a long time. And for the last 30 years, I thought that I would never find out um, who my donor was because that was what I was always told. There were no records and there was no way to find him. That said, a year ago, I found out who my sperm donor biological father was. I did a DNA test and yeah, it all came together. And that's been 
completely amazing and really life-changing. And it was only finding out who he was that allowed me to even speak about donor conception without crying. So like before that, it was just a huge source of pain for me, but I never talked about it. So I just never really had to think about it. I couldn't talk about it. I wouldn't let myself think about it, um, except periodically it would come up. And so I would not be able to have this conversation with you, say, two years ago. I wouldn't be able to do it. I would be just emotional wreck. It was it was a really big deal, even though I've had an amazing life and I would be considered by most people to be very lucky and, you know, successful and happy. Um, and all those things are true. And there was also, like, some painful things there too. Um but so finding him has allowed me to then, I guess, um, connect with other donor conceived people, um, have conversations and feel quite passionate hearing other people's stories that there is still so much, even in the last 30 years, like so much, things can be done so much better. And so many of the things, we're all growing up now and we're old enough and strong enough to start telling you guys this was, you know, difficult for me in these particular ways and there are better ways to do it um yeah, but your children are too young to tell you what they need or how things might be beneficial for them and so there are us us DCP you know standing up and feeling passionate about it that we have the skills we have the experience the bravery to come forwards and and tell people um, how it's affected us and what's been good and what's been less helpful. We want to help your children. That's why we're here. Yeah, and, and that's what I always say. We just want to do the very best thing for our children. And, and I think it can be difficult. It can be really, I mean, I feel quite emotional just listening to you there and you talk about the pain and, and some of the, the challenges that you faced. And I think, oh, gosh, I really don't want the girls to feel that way. But even though I have that emotional response and I think, oh, this is making me really uncomfortable, I don't, I need to to listen in and I need to think, okay, well, what can I do rather than running away from it and thinking, well, that's not my story, that's not my situation. And, and that's why I'm so grateful to you for sharing. And, and I think it's really interesting to get this range of perspectives and, and to try and think, okay, what can we do better for that next generation? So what we're going to do today, we're going to cover off um, six different points we kind of pulled together uh, of what donor conceived people want you to know as a parent. And so let's start with number one. And this comes out a lot on social media, um, particularly on Facebook. Um, and quite often donor conceived people are labelled as angry. So those that are advocating online and I've, I've seen it. I've seen recipient parents say, oh, don't listen they're they're angry and there is a lot of anger in groups and this is why I'm trying to have this conversation here because I think sometimes when you see things on a social media post it's very one-dimensional you've not got the context you don't realize there's a human being behind it and so to to understand okay what there are some things that that don't conceive people are angry about there's some things that we as parents probably should be angry about as well and yet how can we listen to this without having that emotional reaction of dismissing it simply because we think that person is saying it because they're angry. So Emma, I'm going to come to you first. So on the point, not all DCP are angry. What do you want not to share with us? Not angry here. <laughs> and I know lots of people who are not angry. <laughs> um, look, there's a couple of parts to this. One is to say up front, there are some very valid reasons to be angry. 
And so, yes, there are DCP who are angry and they have good reason to be and their feelings are completely valid. Um, you know, anyone who's been lied to, whether it's about donor conception or something else, um, and finds out, you know, they're a totally different thing from what they thought they were. Um, people who haven't been supported, you know, to be their whole selves, um, you know, had things that they felt passionate about or important to them shut down or denied by their parents, whether that's donor conception or some other thing. Um, parents who make issues about themselves rather than putting the child first um, or parents who put a lot of pressure or expectations on their child to be a certain way, people might be angry about any of those things. That's completely um, valid and reasonable and I think most parents and most people would understand that. I think um, this whole like not all DCP are angry or the perception that a lot of DCP are angry is because um, many of the people who are advocating are doing so because they feel really passionate or they feel really hurt. And it might be that someone who is completely content and, you know, relaxed about their situation doesn't feel the need or the drive to get online and enter into a big discussion. They might not even know that a Facebook group exists because they've never felt the need to enter those communities for support um, or to get more information or resources. Um, so there are lots of reasons that people might be angry. There are lots of people who are not angry at all. There are people who might be angry sometimes and they might be angry at different points in their life. Um, I think part of it is personality, you know, like just some people are going to feel more passionately about certain things than others. Um, part of it is your lived experience. So what has happened to you? So parents might not be able to change someone's personality, but they are going to be able to have an influence on the lived experience um, of that person and how they raise them and the information they give them, the support they give them, the resources they give them um, is going to make a huge difference about how that person then feels about themselves. I think the other thing that parents worry about is that their child will be angry at them. And sometimes the anger is not about angry at your parent they are angry at the industry the system the doctor that gave you that information the counselor that told you the wrong thing um the facebook group that you know supported your parents view which is actually not a dcp centered approach so there are lots of reasons to be angry but lots of people really love their parents you know um they love the parents that raised them whether they're the genetic or the non-genetic parent and they've got lots of really good reasons to do so. And we are here to help give you guys some more reasons, you know, to help you support that child. Um, so that if there is anger, if there is sadness, if there is happiness, joy, curiosity, whatever it is, you're going to be able to be there to support them through and, and understand, like, where are those emotions coming from? How can I be there to help them get to the other side? Yeah, thank you. And we can, as parents, we can influence that experience for them and it doesn't mean that everything just because we tell them right from the very beginning that they won't have difficult feelings about it and, and it, it's just that it's that example again that it's possible to have a mix of emotions and just because you're and, and I often see a, a lot of the um what we call anger is is directed at the industry and the way things are set up and and the fact that there isn't that DCP centered approach by the industry um, in many cases. And 
that is what comes across I think and, and but I think as parents we can get quite defensive and not want to listen to it because we feel like it's about us and actually it's stepping back and thinking actually no that my child can still love me but can, might still feel upset that their donor is anonymous for example I mean and I have no idea how my children are going to feel but I'm trying to almost put myself in their shoes in different scenarios and listen to the full spectrum of, of responses to being donor conceived I think so that I can try and empathize with them and, and support them however they feel in the future so Hayley would is there anything you would like to add to that around um, that concept of all DCP being angry? No I think you've covered it really well both of you there I think the sometimes there's the misconception that to be angry you can't be anything other than angry so you know like the mutually exclusive feelings so you know from I can just speak from my own personal perspective um you know being donor conceived is is enriched my life in ways that I would never have thought possible even though I still do have feelings not so much anger anymore but um you know certainly distress and upset when I first found out I was donor conceived but um you know what I'm trying to say is that you can you can have opposing feelings about the same topic um mm. and I would certainly say that you know a lot of my frustrations now are towards um the industry as a whole um and I feel like you know more can be done in that sort of scenarios but um but yeah I think you, you both have covered it really well I think it's just to say that that the anger maybe comes out I suppose more in social media groups and it tends to be uh it's like the dismissive tone as well or, or especially late discovery donor conceived people well, they're, they're just angry. And and I think then that just kind of fuels this cycle of um, you're not really kind of, you know, people aren't really listening to what the, the real issues are. They're kind of just dismissed as being angry, late discovery, donor conceived people, which I don't think really progresses the um, the discussion very far. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So I think having these sort of conversations now and and I think there's the post that you're sharing, Emma, in particular, and also Hayley as well, it's you kind of positioning some of the the messages that you want to get across in in a more empathetic way that I think is much easier for parents to engage with um while still getting the message across and um I know really recently Emma you posted around that if you weren't genetically related to your own child you would be jealous of someone else who who might be and it's just those sort of I think it, it is. I think it's important for us to empathise and put ourselves in in donor conceived people's shoes, but also seeing that you've also done the same for parents as well to try and understand that actually it it is a really really difficult process when you're going through this and you're making decisions in such a vulnerable place and often all you want is for your child to be happy and do the best for them. Yet this creates extra complexities. So I think what has been really refreshing is to have those conversations and to see the empathy on both sides but also to put forward how you feel and and for us to think oh okay maybe I do need to think about that differently and what can I do and and I think that approach will have much more of an impact in that parents won't necessarily go running for the hills because they've felt attacked for something that they've done out of love but they will feel understood and maybe reflect. And and that's what I try and and what I hope to do is almost plant seeds and hope that that reflection and that thought, because it is a process. This whole thing is a process. No one's going to flip and change their mind in an instant. But I think 
yeah, hopefully this is also going to contribute towards that. So let's move on to the um, second point that we wanted to talk about. So the next one was around just because I'm curious doesn't mean that I love you any less. Um, And it's kind of thinking about the donor as an addition rather than a replacement. And I know, I know personally, I felt threatened by the thought of the donor. And I know if you'd have asked me at the very beginning around the girls wanting to find her one day, I, that would have terrified me and the thought of, oh my goodness, I might be replaced one day. But now I feel so much more confident in my role and I can completely understand why they would be curious and would potentially want to find out more. Um, so Hayley, I'm going to come to you first because I know you have your own experience of, of actually finding your biological father and, and how that's made you feel as well. But what would you say around the curiosity and, and the feelings that parents can have around that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's curiosity is just quite a natural response. I think um, depending on your personality as well, that can impact it. Um, but for, for those of you that don't know my story, um, I actually didn't DNA test myself until 2020. Um, it was actually the end of 2019. Um, and through extensive um, research and family tree history work, um, genealogy and lots of work, um, which my wife <laughs> sat down and helped me go through for many, many nights over many, many hours. Uh, we were a- able to actually locate my parents' um, previously anonymous sperm donor, and um, his name's Jonathan. And we've since connected um, and we we stay in touch. And I would say I have a very, you know, good relationship with him. Um, and at the start, I wasn't really looking for that kind of, any kind of relationship. I just wanted some medical info. But I suppose the more I got to know him and find out about him, um, yeah, I would say we've sort of, we've got like what I would call kind of like a nice friendship now. Um, but it has satisfied my curiosity to meet him um, and to find out about him. Um, and I've learned, even though, you know, I'm sort of, you know, I'm not a youngster anymore, I, I've been able to find out things about myself that I kind of didn't realize I needed to know until I met him and yeah I, I just think it, in, in relation to parents and like you mentioned there Becky feeling the thought of your your girls reaching out and and finding some information out the donor I can totally empathize with that with the twins because I felt like that as well so um, obviously the twins have got a biological father that are sperm donor and they we use an open ID donor for, uh, for them so we'll have details of him uh, hopefully, if the twins want it when they turn eighteen, and the thought of them reaching out still does—I um, don't think worry. It could be a word, but there's that apprehension there. But I think actually connecting with my own biological father, um, it's put me more at ease. Um, now I've gone through the process to know that maybe when you know if the twins are old enough, they may want to do it. But it is still quite a daunting process. So, it, like I say, being on both sides of the fence, I can totally empathise. Um, but I think curiosity is quite going back to my original point is quite a natural response for people to have. Yeah. And I, I think it's important as parents to kind of embrace that curiosity and not try to shut it down. Um, Cause I think with a lot of things in life, if you shut them down, um, they're still going to be there. Um, yeah. That curiosity is still going to be there. Um, and why not try and help your children uh, and embrace a curiosity as opposed to kind of, yeah, turn the other way from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, has this process sort of impacted your relationship with your dad or has it impacted your relationship and the relationship that you share? Yeah, I mean, my dad is still my dad and I always say that. Um, Yes, I have a different biological father to the person that I thought, um, but it hasn't changed our relationship. If anything, I feel more 
um, I don't know if respect is the word, but um, I actually feel more towards my dad in some ways because he has knowingly raised me to knowing that I'm not his genetic daughter. Um, and you know, I've had the most amazing upbringing. My dad is still the most wonderful father. He still tries to father me now, you know, even like checks in on me and he's still the first person that I would bring in a crisis. You know, we've still got a very good relationship on, on that front, but, um, I would just say that meeting Jonathan is, has, has enriched my life, but it hasn't changed how I feel about my dad. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's in no way a replacement of anything. It's an addition. And and that's, I think, in terms of reassurance for us as parents, I think just to remember that, that the, it's not just a finite amount of love and space and, and to know that actually finding out more and satisfying that curiosity has, has helped you, but it's it's also helped your relationship as well with, with your dad and, and to get yeah. to know a bit more about your identity. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it, it's not, um, it, it is a difficult one. And I understand um, totally, especially being a recipient parent myself, that the feelings of insecurity there. But um, I, I think the whole thing of truth, you know, we, me and my dad have had some, you know, honest and truthful discussions, which has helped build connections back um, and, and some trust back and things as well. So, yeah, I just think... Um, yeah, I, it, it's, it's just added to my life, you know, finding Jonathan. And to be honest, when I went originally, you know, when I originally DNA tested, it was a curiosity thing, you know, more to find out about genetic heritage a little bit. I just wanted a photograph, really, and some mm. medical history. Um, I wasn't looking for a father figure. I mean, I, I can't speak for all donor-conceived people or, or different family setups and things like that. But, you know, I, I did have a dad figure. I still have a dad figure. And Jonathan hasn't hasn't replaced that. So that's, that's where I'm at with it at the moment. So. Thank you, Hayley. And Emma, have you got anything to add to this point? I would say that having the support of my family that raised me and the family that I grew up with, having their support to find out who my biological sperm donor father was or is has allowed me to have a deeper relationship with them. So we've been able to grow and flourish because I felt like I can explore that side of me knowing that they're also interested and curious and okay with it. Um, and I think about, well, why do some DCP have issues, you know, and maybe it's because they're in the opposite situation. So imagine if you're not okay with your child or future adult finding out who the donor is, or you, you know, you're not really okay with them being DCP at all. And so you are in a way pushing them away. Um, you know, those people who don't have the support of their parents are, much more likely to be looking for a replacement you know like if you're there with them alongside them that's going to nourish your relationship with them the opposite way around if you're not okay with it you're pushing your child away from you yeah I think that's a really really good point and I know for me one of the big things has always been that I just I want them to feel that I'm with them every step of the way, however they feel. And actually, even though the thought of finding our donor at the very beginning scared me, I'm also a bit curious now too. (laughs) And that doesn't mean I'm absolutely fine. I I still, like you say, it's that apprehension and I would feel emotional and very emotional, but I, I almost feel that how they, how they are feeling is more important than me. And I, I want that to be the overarching thing like it's it's totally 
up to them what they want to do and I will support them however I can with that. And I think this point leads nicely into number three, um, which is around being truthful with your child gives you the freedom to have an authentic relationship with your child. And, And I've definitely felt this just through talking about their conception at, at a young age and and just starting that process where it's felt so right and I remember at the beginning I felt really nervous about actually having this conversation and worrying about what they might say and whether I would get upset but it, it it's felt right and it I think in many ways allows us to build even deeper bonds because we're saying look this is what happened and and we're being vulnerable with them and we're showing them that we're only human and that this is what we needed to do and and we are so grateful for them um at the same time without putting the pressure <laughs> on them to be grateful too but yeah let me come to you emma um around being truthful and and, and creating that authentic relationship what do you want to to share with us from well, your perspective I think, how can you have an authentic relationship with your child if you're hiding something from them or if you're uncomfortable with something about them you know, if if you're worried about something about them. And so if you can face the issues yourself, you're going to be able to be fully truthful with them and set all that crap aside, you know, and just be there with them and not have this little like niggling voice inside your head that's casting a shadow on just being your mum or your dad, you know, being there with them. I think it's just a really beautiful yeah. way to frame it. And it means you have to get, you have to deal with it yourself to be able to be fully truthful about the good and the bad, you know, the things that you feel icky about and the things that you feel good about. If you can deal with it yourself, think how great the framework that's going to set up for them and your relationship. Yeah. And I think there's so much more out there now being talked about and and conversations and support than there was 20, 30 years ago. And I just, I can't imagine how lonely it must have been to go through this and to not have your voices and to not have um the even Instagram out there just where you actually feel less alone in this and so I think it's so important that we are able to start and I I say again processing it's a process it's not overnight and and I think is it like I know that even though I'm in a really good place I will still have wobbles but it's been open about those with myself and and recognizing it rather than trying to bury it um and and Hayley what what are your thoughts around kind of being truthful and authentic and how are you applying that with your um, relationship with your twins as well yeah I mean one of the first posts I think I did actually when I started up my Instagram was a was a quote that just really really um resonated with me and I just share it now it's a single lie discovered is enough to create doubt in every truth expressed um and that really really hit home to me with what happened to me because I think with any relationship um a lot of you know the foundations is is is, you know built on trust isn't it and um so what we try to do um with the twins is is just be truthful with them. You know, even though they're only little, if they have questions, we try to be truthful in our answers with them um, as best that we can. Um, And our hope is that we can foster a kind of open scenario where they feel like they 
one can ask us questions and two they'll get an honest answer and if we don't know the answer be truthful about that too because I think that is also important um so yeah and it's just really hit home with me that that original quote because um I think that you know like I say a lot of a lot of um relationships um you need you need trust and, and truthfulness is, is the foundation so yeah that's the kind of mantra that we're going for yeah um, I love that yeah yeah and I think we, we talk about being truthful and being open that um, my last episode of this podcast was with Julie from Happy Together Children's Book and we talk in real depth about as a parent talking to our children about being donor conceived and and I speak with Julianne about the different emotions that might come up so if you are kind of in that place it might be a good one to listen to to kind of have a few thoughts about how to practically start that so moving on to number four um this one is around embracing differences um and I'll talk about the post I did recently on this after I've spoken to you Haley. Haley, I'm going to come to you first what would you advise people in terms of embracing differences when it comes to our donor conceived children yeah I mean I think um depending on um the type of kids you have um if you've already got children or obviously you're, you're thinking of starting a family um I suppose regardless of whose genetics you're using, you, you never know what your kids are going to turn out like. Um, they may be the complete um, mini-me's of yourself or they may be the complete opposites. Um, but I think it is really important to embrace differences because um, sometimes if a difference is singled out, it can sometimes be seen as like a negative. So if you're quite um, an extroverted person and you have a very introverted child um, and, you know, it can cause some conflict sometimes. So I think um, it's just, you know, I think that's just a general parenting point in general. Um, but obviously when you have the introduction of a donor, you've got, um, you know, a, a third or a fourth party's genetics being brought into your family. So you may see traits um, in your children that you don't recognise, um, whether physical or in personality. Um, and although, like for me on a personal perspective, when I was growing up, I never really felt out of place or anything like that. Um, although the one thing I did the only thing that I did feel a bit out of place was that I was quite an academic and neither of my parents were. Um, and although, and I was very fortunate, I was fostered to um, go after my um, studies and my mum my and dad were very supportive, especially my dad, even though he, you know, he left school at 15 on an apprenticeship to join the military. He was very, very um, supportive of that. But I think um, I have heard stories where, um, you know, you, you get some, children that maybe feel they felt a little bit out of place or they weren't supported so yeah just just in on that sort of um line of thinking I think differences doesn't necessarily mean a negative thing yeah. and I think it is it's important to recognize um all of our traits in our children um and um yeah just just um just embrace them really yeah yeah and I I definitely I think if at the very beginning if someone had said to me or oh, there'd be something like really really different about my child that I would have thought oh how am I going to feel about that but I mean I don't think there is anything that obvious within my children but there are certain things like Mila's curls I always talk about Mila's curls because they are a, a physical um thing that you can see and there are absolutely no curls within Matt's family they've all got very straight hair um so we assume that they come from the donor but we we don't just ignore that we talk about it we celebrate them and we say how beautiful they are and we wonder as well I think we also all oh, wonder whether they come from your donor and even Mila now will say oh yeah I think the donor put some blue in my egg and some curls because that I've got curly hair and I've got blue eyes and she started to piece that together and and I I just think this this is something I've 
probably hadn't thought too much about, but I I really like the idea of sort of embracing all of those different things that may crop, crop up over time and say they develop a different interest. We can, even though we don't know that much about our donor, we can wonder with them and we can kind of think about th- those things. And I don't want them to ever feel that they're the, the odd one out because they've got this certain difference and there's something that yeah. isn't quite like mummy. So, and I mentioned a post, I, I, I reposted something very recently and it was something I wrote three years ago. And in that post, I was just, I could tell, I was talking all about our similarities and I was really trying to pull out and and, and I, I'd noticed some similarities, both physical and, and otherwise. And, and I was really celebrating those. And when I came back to that post, I looked at it again and I thought, actually, I feel like I'm in a different place now because I feel like not only am I kind of thinking, oh, that's lovely. They do that like me, but also I'm going, oh, that's amazing they do that. And that's so individual and that's part of them. And and so I feel like as I've grown more comfortable, I've almost feel more able to embrace those differences as well. And I think just pulling that out as a particular point of, of advice from yourselves, I think is, is really useful for people to kind of just consider how they are talking about their, their child's appearance and the things that they do and they like, and then kind of attributing that to their conception as well so no I definitely think that's a really good point because I think sometimes maybe historically the temptation was to kind of maybe downplay it or ignore it or or put it down to something else whereas like um you know like I've given the example before like with the twins they're both very tall and um the donut we used was tall obviously my, my wife's very tall as well so it may well come from her um side of the family but we do bring it up as an opportunity to say you know um about like my little boy's got he's extremely tall like he's in the top um top percentile for for his age for his height and we'll say you know you've got lovely long legs uh, mama's got lovely long legs but um the man that helped mommy and mama to make you he's got really long legs too and it just even at a really young age um it, it does give us an opportunity to, to bring it into conversation to try and normalize it really because I I, I, and I've done that in, I'm trying to do it more now in front of people and, you know, you know, not making a huge obvious point of it, but if it comes up naturally in conversation, I don't try and I try not to shy away from it um, because it can make you feel a bit awkward as parents, which is understandable to talk about our sperm donor, you know, um, but I think it's important for our kids to hear us talking about him Um because essentially he's made up 50% of the DNA of our children. And um, I don't know how important that will be to our children when they grow up, you know? So yeah, it just, it just gives us the opportunity to bring it into conversation, which I think is important. Yeah. And in essence, we're role modeling it to them, aren't they? They're looking at our reactions to certain situations and things like that. And if we shut things down or we get, they're going to internalize that and take that in. Um, so Emma, what about you in terms of embracing differences? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think one of the key that? things here for donor conception, we don't want to let any opportunities in for your child to be ashamed of who they are. And so we've certainly heard yeah. um, from many DCP who have had qualities about them that have been different from the parents that raised them. Um, maybe they've been extremely artistic and that's not their, the experience of the their mum and dad that raised them um, or, you know, they've had a special interest in the law, which cannot be explained. It's unfathomable to the rest of the family. You wouldn't want your child to feel ashamed of something that is fundamentally part of who they are. Um, but the risk is that 
if you secretly know that's probably from the donor and you're not really comfortable with having to share your child with the donor, um, that you downplay that or shut it down. You don't buy art supplies. You don't enroll them in art class. You funnel them in some other different direction and then the child feels like, oh, this I'm not allowed to be this. This part of me is not okay. And then the risk is that they internalise that as, you know, being donor conceived is not okay. I should be ashamed because I'm not accepted for my whole self. Only these parts of me are okay and I'll have to shut down the other part. And you can see why that is not good. It's not going to be good for your child's growth and development and happiness and it's not going to be good for their relationship with you either. Um, You have to expect if you're using a donor, there are going to be parts that are unexpected perhaps and things that you don't recognise and you got to be ready to make them make that child feel good about those differences, um, not the opposite. Yeah, and I think different things will come up over time and to be honest, at the moment, I don't see any, I've not found any huge differences in terms of personality and things like that within or things that they're interested in but I know as they develop that might change and and I think it is just being open and just giving them that freedom to be who they are and not feel ashamed for any part of it and so and it all comes back to our comfort with it as a parent and that talk around shame which I've talked about in other podcast episodes which is so prominent in this journey and and I think that's what I hear coming through so often in in conversations with donor conceived people that that shame has been passed down and and that has become quite a weight and a burden as well so hopefully this will go some way towards alleviating some of that and and just making people more aware of the impact that we can have unknowingly sometimes I think um on our children so moving on to number five I'm just conscious of time because we could talk for hours on this topic um And we've probably touched on this a little bit already, but this is around um, being on the journey with your child and and leaving the door open for them to talk about it. And I think this kind of comes back to the fact that it's not just a one time event telling them it's it's a continuous process. And so, Emma, I'm going to come to you first just to talk about what what's your advice for parents in terms of being on the journey with our child? Look, I think if you had a child with any other unusual thing about them or not unusual but anything that was outside the norm you know maybe they've got diabetes maybe they've got ADHD um you know maybe they've got some other you know extreme fanaticism about ballet or you know anything that's kind of beyond the -the run-of-the-mill Joe Bloggs ordinary you're probably going to get really informed. You're going to do all the research. You're going to do all the reading. You're going to be their ally. You're going to ask questions when they're too little to ask questions themselves. You're going to, you know, be the advocate. You're going to push for whatever's best for your child. Why would donor conception be any different, you know? So they are going to be the most supported they can be if you're on board and you're there to do the very best that you can for them. But if you're not okay with it, imagine if you had a child with diabetes and you were like, no, not interested, I'm not going to go there, it's too difficult, it's too hard, it's too uncomfortable, my child's on their own, they can sort it out by themselves, or I'm only going to do a little bit, it's going to be a lot harder for them to, um, you know, manage their health issue optimally. Um, And sometimes donor conception is that it truly is a health issue. 
sometimes it's a psychological health issue. So I think although some people would say, oh my gosh, you can't liken it to a medical condition, and I completely agree, it's not a medical condition, but um, if your child had something like that, you would be, I would imagine, very passionate and very much like there for your child. This could fall into the same sort of category. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's knowing that it doesn't have, well, it doesn't automatically mean that it's something that's going to affect them in that way, but it's being prepared in, in what whatever you can do to to support them through that. And I think you're right. I I mean, I remember when Lena was very small and she developed an eye condition and uh, I went into full-on parent mode of, I was emailing, I was researching, I was doing absolutely everything I possibly could because what can I do? And I suppose quite often we want to think about donor conception and go, oh, well, it, it's just another path to parenthood and, and that's fine and, and we're fine because we we love each other and that's all that matters. And and that's so, so important. But also, why wouldn't you as a parent also be informed on this and, and kind of think about, okay, what might crop up over the years and, and how can I anticipate those? And some of those things may never come to, to pass. They may never come up, but I would much rather be prepared than be unprepared and then have to deal with them struggling um, through something and and worrying about how they are feeling. Um, so, yeah, I think even though it can be quite a, a difficult analogy to think about in terms of likening it, likening it to a medical condition, you're right. There are, And also there's medical history that sometimes we, we don't know and, and mm. that is missing as part of donor conception as well. I think the difference is, you know, when it's an eye condition, for example, or diabetes or whatever it is, the parent can put aside that that thing is not necessarily about them. But the problem with donor conception is that so much of it is about them, their feelings, their emotions, their trauma that they've been through, um, you know, their decisions that they've made. And sometimes, and I can completely understand, that's really tough. It's really challenging. Like they might not have the emotional strength to kind of go there. Um, and that's what holds people back from jumping in. But if it's an eye condition, for example, you're going to read all about the uncomfortable, horrible stuff. You're going to be, you know, fully in there going, oh, I need to know everything I need to know, even though it might not come to that. I want to be fully informed. And so, you know, we just we just hope that over time parents can realise it's just not about you. Um, you've got to just do the work to put your child first and actually by dealing with your issues healing yourself as much as you can that's how you're going to be able to be the best parent for a donor conceived child yeah yeah and and I, I totally totally relate to that because it when you do go into this and you do get uncomfortable it it does bring up the trauma of like having to lose your genetics and and that longing for a simpler story not just for me but for them and all of these different things and it is it i think it can make people shy away from the hard stuff because it is too difficult to face it all again they've been through years and years and finally have that child and and i think this is where i really struggle with the lack of support after kind of conception when when you're going through this and I, I kind of think about all the preparation that goes into someone who's going down the adoption path for example and psychological support that's there and and everything nowadays particularly in the UK and 
even though it's not the same as adoption, there are parallels. And I just feel like there's a huge piece missing in the support there for parents after after conception, particularly when they've been through so much trauma to get there as well. Um, and yeah, it, it, it all almost creates a perfect storm, doesn't it, really, in terms of all of these different things. There's trauma, vulnerability, decisions made, and, and it's the, the most heightened emotions you can have when it comes to your children because you love them so much and you want to do the best for them and so to hear about something that might be difficult can almost bring everything back to the surface um Hayley what what are your thoughts around and I think you mentioned around leaving the door open to talk and it being a continuous process yeah I just I I think it's just really important um you say you both touched on it there just that our you know you know our children so the twins in, in our case can feel comfortable coming to me and my wife to talk to us about things. So like you say, and that we can go on the journey with them. Um, my parents sadly grew up and, you know, had me in an era where there was no support, there was no guidance. Um, and, you know, as a result, um, things maybe played out ways that they shouldn't have done. Um, but I'd like to think that there is some information out there now that means that we can change that kind of cycle um and i agree that a lot more needs to to happen i think in terms of research to help parents because one thing i've noticed with my account is people are messaging me asking me sort of opinions on things and there's only a few things i could a few resources i can point them to because there you know there's a few books and obviously you've you've got support groups um obviously one of which becky that you run yourself but that there isn't you know if you look at other subjects like maybe adoption um, there's loads of resources and research, you know, decades and decades worth out there, but that it just isn't there for parents. So um, I do have a lot of sympathy for parents in, in that respect, because especially, you know, I'm, I'm living that life as well. And um, I, I sort of struggle f- f- to look for information. But going back to the journey side of it, I think um, the one thing we can sort of know is that um, we probably want our children to come to us first f- for help. Um, and by leaving the door open, hopefully they'll feel um, that they're able to do that. And hopefully as our kids get older, the more information will be coming out to empower us as parents to be able to um, help our, our donor conceived kids move forward um, on their path. And um, the issue is that our, our children may not follow the same path as previous donor conceived people. Um, you know, we, if you've got siblings, um, more than one child like we've got the twins one one of the twins may have um certain thoughts about being donor conceived compared to the other so it's sort of managing all that as well um but yeah i just think um just being being there that they feel like they can come to us is is so so important yeah yeah and i think even just listening to this podcast episode you are doing so much and you are taking the advice in and and reflecting on these things and that's a huge step in in supporting your child as well because you you're informing yourself you're listening you're learning which is what today is all about um so thank you and coming to the final piece of advice um it's one of the things that I always share with people as well and one thing I wish I'd have done back at the very beginning but didn't really have access to at the time um and it's around getting professional counseling and I think we've touched on this a few times as we've been going through but I think the importance of it is so clear when we talk about it like this and, and you think about it as a, it's not just, donor conception isn't just a way to have a baby. It's the start of a new story and it's a story that we have to support them with. Um, so Hayley, I'm going to come to you first around this in terms of what your thoughts around counselling for recipient parents. 
Yeah, I mean, I can talk specifically in relation to the UK, just because I know a little bit more about it. So the HFEA, which is obviously the body that um, deal with things like donor conception in the UK, that the guidance is that clinics should be offering compulsory or mandatory counselling sessions pre any treatment taking place at a HFEA clinic. But that doesn't always take place from what I've heard. Or if it does, if it was in the case of my wife and I, it was a tick box. Oh, your donor conceived. So actually, you don't need the counselling. That's what I was told when we had our treatment back in 2016. Um, But what I would say to parents, if you're listening, um, take advantage of that mandatory counselling, especially if you're having treatment at a clinic, because it should be offered to you. Um, But outside of that, um, yeah, seek out um, if if you are... Um, extremely worried about going down the path of um, having donor conceived children or there's lots of things you're unsure about maybe unresolved grief over some of your infertility things um, I would really recommend getting some professional help to kind of work through that um, and even if you've got children and there's still some things that you, you want to talk through I, th- I don't think you can go far wrong by getting counselling and talking it through um, and, and just having that soundboard as well um, and, and to try and process some some of the unresolved stuff maybe um because i think it will benefit the family unit as a whole um to go through it yeah and emma are your thoughts yeah absolutely i mean i think this stuff is huge the feelings the complexity of all this the difficulty of so much of this it's real you know and it shouldn't be swept under the carpet or you know pushed down deep um it's very difficult for any person to manage by themselves. We don't know how to do this. It's not part of normal society. Our parents didn't teach us how to deal with big issues like donor conception. Um, We don't have, you know, movies or TV shows or books or anything that gives us like a roadmap for how to deal with this. And don't underestimate how difficult it is. And I think getting counselling for many of life's difficult issues is so beneficial um and 30 party reproduction is one of them but the thing to say would be you need the right counselor so not just any old person can do this you need someone who's got experience with adoption or third party reproduction and probably finding a counselor who's experienced in adoption um, is going to be a lot easier um and because they understand what it means to you know have children who are not genetically related to you who have another another biological family um elsewhere and a lot of the issues although it's not exactly the same a lot of the issues are the same yeah I think it's it's so important to find someone experienced in this because although I remember when I was going through it I I did access some counseling through my work scheme because I was struggling so much emotionally um and it was a generic counselor so although it was great it gave me that opportunity to talk and to let some things out she didn't have that experience or knowledge to really counsel me around the the issues relating to the loss of my genetics and and what that meant for me and and decision making moving forwards um but what I have created within paths to parenthood so paths to parenthood isn't designed to be a replacement for counseling so just to say that um but the resources that I've tried to curate are to try and support with those emotions that as you're going through them or you want to explore different perspectives or you want to 
listen to a webinar in particular around a particular fear that you might be having. So it may be attachment and bonding. It might be around how might my child feel and how can I best support my child with professionals who have experience in this area. And there's also a um, counselling directory within Paths to Parent Hub as well. The majority are UK based, but they do virtual sessions. And there are a few in particular that I would really recommend who have a really good handle on this topic and and have vast experience in supporting people through this. So that is there for you as well. Um, thank you so much to both of you. I feel like we've covered a lot in an hour and I feel like we've only touched on all of these topics really lightly as well. And um, I just want to finish with a message from each each of you to parents or or parents-to-be, what would you like to share with them sort of as we look towards the future? Hayley, I'm going to come to you first. I would just say that, I mean, we've covered, like you say, quite a lot of topics there and a lot of them are really heavy and it can seem a bit like all doom and gloom sometimes. But, you know, donor conception um, can be an incredible thing. Um, It's enabled my parents to have me and enable my dad who was infertile to be a father and he is the most wonderful father I could ever wish for you know and it's enabled me and my wife to have children and to have a family which we would never have been able to do otherwise so I just wanted to get that in there you know it, you know it, there's lots of positives to come from donor conception um, and sometimes it is quite easy to get bogged down with with, although it's important and it's important to listen and to learn, it can it becomes can become quite heavy. So I, I always try to say when people ask me this type of stuff is to to in, enjoy your kids um, and to be aware of some of the issues and some of the, the the points to consider, but don't be consumed by it because it can become consuming if you let it. Um, but yeah, that's that's why I would say is just um, just try and. Try to step back sometimes if it's getting a bit too much and, and just jump, maybe jump in and out of, you know, the podcasts or the social media or the support groups as and when you feel like you're able to, to process it. Yeah, I would completely echo that. And I think we have compressed six of the quite big things, <laughs> yeah. meaty topics into an hour. Um, exactly. And so, yeah, you may have like got to the end of this episode. I hope you're still with us. <laughs> And um, you you may be thinking, oh, my goodness, I feel all the weight of this. I think it's I have been there where I've been consumed by it. And I was reading Facebook groups um, late at night. I would not sleep. I was questioning myself. I was really, really struggling. And what I have I have learned is it's really important to to keep perspective and to allow yourself that time to step away. And another thing I, I tell myself is not to miss the joy that is right in front of me because I'm worrying about the future and I think it's great to prepare. I've got these three amazing, incredible girls that I would not have without donor conception. I would not be getting to experience being a mum. And and so it is not letting it get in the way of the joy, but also allowing yourself to learn and to listen, but being aware of your own emotions as, as you go through that. So I hope that this episode has giving you that food for thought but in a way that is compassionate empathetic and gives you that things to to think about as you go down the line so Emma I'm going to come to you for your message um I have three messages actually I might not really say this very well but don't underestimate yourself like you're here you're listening to us you've made it to the end of this podcast and just by showing up just by listening you don't even have to do anything. You just hear the seeds are, you know, being planted. It's amazing. You're so far ahead of so many people. 
um, just by showing up, your child is already benefiting. So that was number one. Number two was to give yourself some grace, you know, like this is really hard. Nobody knows how to do this properly. We don't know how to do this properly. You're trying. You're doing your best and you're listening and you're learning. Amazing. So, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. And the other is like you've got time. I often hear or read, you know, posts on Facebook and people with very young children seem to be sort of in this like mad panic and like frenzy and your child is like super young like you've got a long time still before they actually get really curious so you don't have to like solve all the issues today or tomorrow just slow down a bit it is going to take time to get your your head straight and figure some of the stuff out and it's okay like a two-year-old is not going to be asking you really difficult questions about donor conception but start the process slowly slowly you know and you'll get there. Yeah, and I, I think that's completely true. I think you are already doing so much for your child and just by listening to this and and you may re-listen to this at some point and, and come back to it at, at points where you, you feel that you want to kind of just listen to these words of wisdom from these two wonderful women who are sharing their experiences with us. So thank you so much. Um, if you want to find um, find out more about um, Emma's work and also Hayley, um, I will put the details of where to find them in the show notes. Um, thank you so much to both of you for taking the time to share with us. Um, really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I think this year's International Dental Conception Awareness Day, um, I think it's going to be a real success. And I think hopefully um, it's going to create some really constructive conversations um, moving forward. For the rest of the Redefining Parenthood podcast, I have one more episode of the series to go. Um, so that will be shared in a couple of weeks. And I'm going to be exploring known egg donation with a lovely lady who I've come to know over the past three years, I think, as I've been on Instagram. So that will be the next episode that I share. Um, as always, if you have enjoyed this, please rate and review. Um, and please do share with other people. I think these conversations are so important and this one in particular. So if you have been speaking to people on social media, on Facebook or Instagram, and they're not aware of this podcast, please do share with them. And hopefully we can spread the word and just thank you again. Thank you.